Okay, this is top 10 topic number one, descriptive statistics. And to start, we're on the Business 302L webpage. We'll go to exam review, go to statistics, go to statistics review, this nice little PowerPoint presentation the department has provided. Click on open, and the very first page should be about descriptive statistics. Now, remember, in statistics, there are really two broad kinds of statistics. Descriptive statistics, which means to describe a set of data, using the data itself to describe itself. And the second broad class is inferential statistics. Inferential statistics means making inferences from a sample, which is usually small, to a population, which is usually large. So descriptive statistics and inferential statistics. Descriptive statistics are sort of the easier statistics, the parts you learn earlier in the semester. And inferential statistics are the harder parts of statistics because you have to compare means, uh, compare proportions, uh, do linear regression and check the residuals and things like that. So this is descriptive statistics. Okay, um, in descriptive statistics, um, the key idea uh, it, there are two really key ideas. The first is the measure of central tendency, or the measures of central location, and the second is measures of dispersion, like standard deviation. We'll get to that in a moment. So the first big one is measures of central location, or measures of central tendency. Those are the mean, sometimes called the arithmetic mean. We sometimes call it the average, but you shouldn't use the word average. In statistics, we try to be very precise, so call it the mean, or call it the arithmetic mean because numbers are added up and the median and the mode, and they're similar. And we'll talk about how um, they're similar and different uh, as we go through uh, this particular lecture. Mean, median, and mode. Okay, the mean. Uh, population mean, which means things about the population, which therefore we use Greek letters. So there's a Greek letter mu. Population mean equals mu. I know it's kind of hard to remember, so if you can't remember the Greek letter, try and use the whole word. The population mean is equal to the sum of x, the sum of all of the different numbers in a, in a population. So it's really sum of x sub 1, sub 2, x sub 3, x sub 4, x sub 5, all of the different numbers. If there's 10 numbers in the population, you sum up all the numbers and then divide by the total number of numbers, which is uppercase n. Um, let me see if I can't point to this here for a second. Uppercase n, and uppercase n is uh, the number of observations, which is, in this case, 10, for example. So here's an example. 5 plus 1 plus 6. There are three numbers, so 5 plus 1 is 6, plus 6 is 12, divided by 3. 12 divided by 3 is 4. So that's the mean. Same thing with a sample mean, which we'll get to in a moment. It's just we use a lowercase n rather than a largecase n. Okay. A little bit of algebra, the uppercase sigma here. Uh, it means summation as opposed to lowercase sigma, which means standard deviation, which we'll get to later. But uppercase sigma means sum all the numbers. So the sum of x is equal to n, the number of the number of observations, like 3, times the mean. 3 times 4 is 12. Okay, usually you don't see it written that way. You'll see it written above, um, as it's written above, like the population means. You just sum up all the numbers, divide by the number of observations. Bullet point number three, same thing for the sample mean. It's just that we, instead of using a Greek letter, mu, we use um, a, a x bar, which is usually x with a bar over it. Here it's written x 
B-A-R, but usually it's X with a bar over it, and, it just, and it's the same calculation. Sum up all the observations, divide by the number of observations. It's just that we use a lowercase n because it's the sample, as opposed to an uppercase n, which is the population. So sample mean and population are computed very similarly. In fact, the algebra is, is exactly the same. Okay? Example, the number of hours spent on the internet, 4, 8, 9, x bar, so you know it's the sample mean, is equal to 4 plus 8 plus 9, um, uh, with 4 plus 8 is 12, plus uh, uh, 9 is 21, divided by 3 is 7 hours. Okay, now, when do you not use the mean? The mean is a very nice measure of what is the middle of the data. When do you not use the mean? You don't use the mean if the number of observations is small, or if you have really extreme values. And usually where we hit extreme values is on things like income and housing prices. Those are very common. For example, if we have a small group of, Bill, of people and Bill Gates is in the group, the mean is going to be very high, even though most of the people don't have incomes like uh, Bill Gates, the, cha the chairman and founder of Microsoft. So we tend not to use the mean in that case because the mean is skewed too large. Here's another example. Don't use if the number of, if three houses were sold this week and one was a mansion. A mansion is a very large house. That means the mean is going to be too high. So for things like income and housing prices where you tend to see it, but some other things as well, we tend to use the median rather than the mean. We'll get to the median in a moment. Okay, the median. The median is the middle value, sort of like the median in the middle of a road, as it were, okay, in the middle of a freeway. For example, if you have the numbers 5, 1, and 6, step 1, you first have to sort the data. 5, 1, and 6 doesn't tell you where the median is. You have to sort it so that you put it in order, 1, 5, and 6. Um, and then step 2, you just pick the number in the middle. Very straightforward. That's the middle value. The beauty of this is if we had income or real estate prices and we had a very high number, for example, if this is 1, 5, and 60, the median would still be 5, which is kind of nice. We'll, we'll give, I'll, and we'll show you an example on the end of this PowerPoint in a moment. When there is an even number of observations, the median is computed by averaging the two observations in the middle. So if this was 1, 4, 5, and 6, you take the average of 4 and 5, which is 4.5. Okay. Um, uh, a fourth bullet point. You can use the median when there are extreme values, negative or positive. For example, home sales, $100,000, $200,000, $900,000. So the mean, the mean would be $400,000, which is 100 plus 200 is 300, plus 900 is 1,200. 1,200 divided by 3 would be $400,000. But the median is 200 thousand dollars. In other words, in this particular case, the median is a better measure of central tendency, a better estimate of central tendency than is the mean. Usually the mean is just fine, but you need to know the median in special cases. Okay, next slide on mode. Mode uh, comes from the French word for fashion or most popular. It means the most frequent value. So what's the most frequent value? For example, if you had some categorical variables, female, male, and female, what's the mode? The mode is female because there are two females and one male. Bullet point number three. Here's another example. One, one, two, three, five, eight. What's the mode? The mode is one because one appears twice. 
Yes. Can a number have? Uh, can a set of numbers have more than one mode? Yes, it can. We don't use the mode as often as we use the median or uh, the mean, but it's it. But it's useful to know because it's a measure of central tendency. Uh, it may not be a very good measure. And see the following example. Here's an example. Uh, some sample data: zero, zero, five, seven, eight, nine, twelve, fourteen, twenty-two, and twenty-three. It doesn't tell us what the sample is, but we'll just take the numbers as they're written. The sample mean is equal to x bar as opposed to mu because it's the sample. Uh, the sum of all of the x's divided by the number of observations. Sum of x divided by n is equal to one hundred divided by ten, which is ten. The median is 8.5, which is the middle two numbers, half of the middle two numbers. 8 plus 9 is 17, divided by 2 is 8.5, and, and the mode is 0. So the mode is not very helpful here. The mean is probably the best measure in this particular case because there aren't too many extreme values, and secondarily you could use the median as well. In almost all cases you're going to use the mean. Why? Because the mean combined with the standard deviation, which we'll learn in a moment, are the two main characteristics that we need to compare what we see to what might have occurred in a theoretical distribution like the normal distribution. And the theory about what makes that work is, is being able to compute the mean correctly and being able to compute the standard deviation correctly. So quite often we use the mean, which is also known as the arithmetic mean, because we're adding up the numbers. There are other kinds of means like geometric means as well, but those aren't on the exam. Okay, next slide. Um, relationship. Uh, there are relationships between these three numbers, the mean, the median, and the mode. Case number one, if the probability distribution is symmetric, that means it's bell-shaped, or like a normal distribution, shaped like a bell, then if it's perfectly symmetric, the mean equals the median equals the mode. I can tell you in real life this doesn't occur very often, but if it were to occur, <laughs> the mean would be equal to median, would be equal to mode. Case number two, if a distribution uh, uh, is positively skewed to the right, uh, that's redundant, but positively skewed means to the right. For example, incomes of, uh, incomes of employers in a large firm, a large number of relatively low-paid workers, and a small number of relatively high-paid executives. That's probably quite typical. In that particular case, the mode is less than the median, which is less than the mean. The mode, which is the most popular number, is ha contains a large number of the relatively low-paid workers which is less than the median, and the mean is going to be skewed high. Remember, it's going to be skewed positive because of the small number, but very high paid executives in the firm. So it's important to understand the relationships between all three of those measures of central tendency. Okay, Case number three, the last one here. If a distribution is negatively skewed to the left, okay, that's redundant, but negatively skewed to this left, you can say it to yourself to help you remember. For example, the time taken by students to write exams. Few, a few students hand in their exams early, and a majority of the students turn in their exam at the end of the exam. So in that particular case, since the majority of the students turn in their exam at the end of the exam, um, the mode is probably the highest number, so it's here on the right, and everything else is below the mode. So the mean is less than the median, and the median is less than the mode. Okay, so those are the three kinds of relationships. So I, I said before that the main issue 
uh, with descriptive statistics. It's the two broad broad classes. Uh, two, excuse me, the two important concepts in descriptive statistics, particularly for calculations, are measures of central tendency, how things tend to be towards the middle, and measures of dispersion, or measures of variability, which is how things tend to be different from the median, uh, excuse me, different from the mean and different from each other, actually. Uh, so um, dispersion, this is on this slide, measures of sl variability, this is slide 10 if you're following along on the podcast, uh, how, much, how much is the spread of the data? That's one definition. And the spread of the data is also how much is the uncertainty of the data. And a lot of manage the reason this is important is a lot of management issues is, are related to reducing the amount of uncertainty, or at least understanding the degree of uncertainty in our environment. So how much is the, we know the measure of central, central, measure of central tendency is how far the information, how far the points are away from the middle. Let me repeat that. That's the wrong definition. The measure of central tendency is where is the middle of the data. We usually we use the mean. Dispersion is how far the parts, the points are away from the the actual mean that you just computed in measures of central tendency. So how how much is the spread of the da data? Some very simple measures are the range. The range just means the highest to the lowest, which we'll talk about in a moment. The two ones that you're most familiar with are the variance and the square root of the variance which is the standard deviation. And we need the standard deviation because that goes with the mean. Once we have those two, we can compare what we see in a sample to what might appear in a theoretical distribution like the normal distribution or the t, t approximation to the normal distribution. Okay, so the first one is the range. Range is very straightforward. We just look at the highest number, subtract the minimum. Take the highest number, subtract the minimum. That's the range. Uh, the range is affected by unusual values, has the same issue as the mean, the difference between the mean and the median before. If there's one number that's pretty high, it's going to tend to skew the results a little bit. It's not the end of the world, but you just need to be, you need to recognize that. For example, if the city of Santa Monica has a high of 105 degrees and a low of 30 degrees once a century, the range would be 105 to 30, 75. But really, that range is a little off. The range really should be closer to 105, should be 100 or 90 or 80 or something like that, or 70, because it doesn't have 30 degrees very often. Okay, so the range is just the maximum number and the minimum number, and sometimes we subtract those two together to get a number like 75, 105 minus 30. Okay, the standard deviation is better than the range because all of the data is used. Okay, the standard deviation, again, remember, is a measure of dispersion. In other words, you've already calculated the mean. Now what we want to know is how far are, on average, how far are the points away from the mean? Better, it's better than the range because we use all the data. The population standard deviation is the square root of the variance. And the variance, the letter for the variance is sigma. This is lowercase sigma. Don't confuse that with uppercase sigma, which is the summation sign. Okay, so we compute the variance first, and then we take the square root, and we want the positive square root, and that's the standard deviation. The standard deviation is always greater than zero. Okay, uh, one of the nice things about a standard deviation is it's a measure of distance. If you remember the normal distribution, the mean is in the middle. How far we move along the line, 
how f and, and, and therefore, how much area under a normal curve can we discuss? How far we move along the line? That measure is, is called a standard deviation, like miles and feet and inches. It's just that we're not measuring in, in that kind of a unit. We're measuring it in a, in, in, a, in a distance called a standard deviation unit. Okay, one of the nice things is in the normal distribution, one, uh, we have a, something called the empirical rule. This applies to normal distributions or bell-shaped curves. The, the PowerPoint also calls them mound curves as well. Um, one of the nice things that we know from this rule in normal distributions is that 68% of the data lie within plus or minus one standard deviation of the mean. So it's kind of far out from the mean on both sides, but not too far out. We also know that 95% of the data falls within plus or minus two standard deviations of the mean. This is very commonly used in statistics, knowing whether or not you're two standard deviations out from the mean. And then the last one is 99.7% of the data lies within plus or minus three standard deviations of the mean. We usually don't go too, too far farther than that because we're starting to get into very get into percentages that really come very close to 100%. In operations, you'll talk about six sigma, which is six standard deviations, and that this is just that's just an extension of this idea. But for your particular exam, you need to know that 68% of the data is within plus or minus one standard deviation, 95% is within plus or minus two standard deviations of the mean. Um, and 99.7%, in other words, nearly all of it, all of is within plus or minus three standard deviations of the mean. Okay, here's the famous formula on slide 14 uh, for the standard deviation. So the standard deviation is the square root of the variance. You notice we use a lowercase s. Why? Because we're talking about a sample here. Well, actually, I guess that's an uppercase s here in this particular case. Um, actually, we'll call this it's an uppercase s, but really it should be a lowercase s because it's the sample mean. If we, uh, the sample uh, standard deviation, if it was the population standard deviation, we'd use sigma, the lowercase sigma. So the sample standard deviation is the square root of the sum of each one of the numbers minus the mean of all of those numbers. Because remember, we wanted to see how far the numbers are away from the mean. So we subtract the mean from each one of these numbers, square it and sum those up, okay, and divide through by n minus 1. n means the number of observations or the number of, uh, uh, number of numbers in, in a list. Usually we call it the number of observations minus 1. That's a, and, that's, and without the square root sign, it's called the variance. If you take the square root, it's called um, the standard deviation. Okay, here's an example. And this might be a little hard to see on the podcast. We're on slide 15. Uh, but if you go back and review the podcast uh, with the PowerPoint slides, you can take a look at it. So the first column is x, a bunch of numbers. The next column is x minus x bar. And the last column is x minus x bar squared. There usually isn't a lot of time to do all these fancy calculations on the exam, but you do need to know some of the basics to be able to do this, and this is one of those basics. Remember, we use computers when the number of when the when when the numbers are pretty large. You know, when we have, you know, a, a thousand numbers or ten thousand numbers. But you should be able to calculate simple elementary statistics when we only have four or five or six different kinds of numbers. So the first column is x. And the numbers are six, six, seven, eight, and thirteen. 
The sum of that is 40. The mean is 40 divided by the number of observations, 5, which is equal to 8. Then in the next column, we subtract the mean from each one of those numbers. So 6 minus 8 is minus 2, 6 minus 8 is minus 2, 7 minus 8 is minus 1, 8 minus 8 is 0, 13 minus 8 is equal to 5, and we sum all those up. By definition, those have to add to 0 because we're subtracting the mean away from all of the numbers. Since we com com computed the mean from each of those numbers, if we subtract the mean from each of those numbers and add them up, we're going to get 0. Then we need to square the number because we're going to get rid of the, the minus sign. There's some other reasons too, but they're not important right now. So minus 2 times minus 2 is 4. Minus 2 times minus 2 is 4. Minus 1 times minus 1 is 1. 0 times 0 is 0. Um, and 5 times 5 is 25. So this is x minus x bar squared. And we sum them up, and that's 34. And on the next page, you'll see that the total um, variation is 34. Okay, uh, excuse me, um, the total variation is 34, which was the sum of all the x minus x bars squared. Okay, if we divide that by n minus 1, n was 5, so n minus 1 is 4. If we take 34 and divide by 4, we get 8.5, which is the sample variance. And then if we take the square root of that, the sample standard deviation is the square root of the variance, or 8.5. And I don't have a calculator in front of me, but I'm just reading it off the, uh, off the screen here. Um, and, but you will have a calculator on the exam, and just a simple one will do. This is why you need one with a square root key. The square root of 8.5 is 2.9. Okay. Uh, next slide, slide 17, measures of variability. Here's another example, same kind of example. The hourly wages earned by a sample of five students are $7, $5, $11, $8, and $6. What's the range? The range, again, is the highest to the lowest, the maximum to the minimum. 11 minus 5 is 6. Sometimes the range is not a complete answer, so we continue on. We want to compute the variance. So the variance... Um, uh, is s squared. Um, remember, s is standard deviation, so s squared is the variance. s squared, or sigma squared, in this case they're samples, so we use s. s squared is equal to the sum of x minus x bar, which is the mean, sample mean, squared divided by n minus 1. And if you do all those calculations, I won't read them over the podcast, but if you do that, come up with 21.2 divided by 5 minus 1, which is 5.30. We take the square root of 5, that's the variance. We uh, uh, to, find the to find the standard deviation, uh, we take the square root of that and come up with 2.30. Okay, those are, those are the measures of dispersion for that particular data set, variance and standard deviation. If you know one, you know the other. Okay, a couple of more ideas uh, associated with uh, uh, descriptive statistics, and that's something called exploratory data analysis, which is kind of a fancy name. It just means exploring your data in a graphical kind of way. And one of the things that's important, you know, graphics can include a table as well as a chart, and, and it's really important to understand if you have two variables, for example, how are you going to display it? Uh, and so um, um, you, you always have to remember the kinds of variables, like we studied in top 10 concept number 10, are they categorical variables, sometimes called nominal or qualitative variables, or are they quantitative variables, like interval and ratio uh, variables? 
where they're continuous numbers like dollars or units. Okay, some of the graphical tools on slide 18 relate to this. For example, the first bullet point, use a line chart if you're drawing a trend over time. So that means the x-axis, the horizontal axis, has got to be time, and the y-axis the uh, has got to, is some other number, some other usually continuous function. It doesn't have to be a continuous number. It can be a discrete number as well. But just make sure that the x-axis is time. That's a, that's a line chart. Don't confuse that with the next one, which is a scatter diagram or a scatter chart. In that particular case, use a relationship between two variables, two quantitative variables. In other words, they've got to be uh, continuous amounts in general. That's what we use scatter plots for. Um, when one of the variables is quantitative and the other is qualitative, then we usually make a bar chart, or sometimes it's called a column chart. Uh, as well. And a bar chart has the discrete elements of the qualitative variable on the x-axis, the horizontal axis, and then the length of the bar on the y-axis is some kind of continuous variable. It doesn't have to be a continuous variable, but it usually is. Um, on, 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 and that's a bar chart. Sometimes pie charts are used for this, but pie charts are really a bad bad choice. Statisticians don't use pie charts because it's difficult for humans to compute the, to understand the area of a pie slice very easily. And statistics is about communicating data, and uh, we're always sensitive to that. If, if we think that people aren't going to be able to interpret it well, we try and avoid that kind of chart, even though, yes, I know it's in Excel. Okay, but stick with the bar chart. Okay, number four is a histogram. Histogram is kind of like a bar chart, chart uh, excuse me, kind of like a bar chart, um, but it's a little bit different. The bar chart, uh, the histogram is a frequency for each class of the measured data maximum and minimum divided by the number of class values. So the width of a particular bar, if you will, in a histogram can vary based on how wide that class is. And the histogram is the basis for how we uh, build up um, what we see as random variables, what we observe as random variables or outcomes of random variables, and build that up for the central limit theorem to prove things like the normal distribution. Okay, that's called a histogram. Frequency for each class of the measured data, or each segment of the particular data. Last on the list is a box plot. Box plot isn't used as often as a scatter plot or a bar chart, but a box plot is a graphical display based on quartiles, which is chunking up the all of those numbers into four parts, which divides, the, well, as the PowerPoint says, divides the data into four parts. Um, the median is really dividing it into two parts. A quartile is a calculation which divides it into four parts. In other words, if a median cuts it into two parts, there's a median of the median which cuts it into another four parts, which cuts it into another two parts of the existing two parts. Two, pi, two times two is four. Those are called quartiles. And a box plot can display this on the screen for each particular value. Okay, and that's top ten concept number one, descriptive statistics.